0: We are continuing today talking about supernatural Christianity. So would you take your Bibles, go to the book of 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, and as you're going to 2 Kings, let me say, my name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor of Love and Truth Ministries. We're glad for those who are joining with us today from our campuses, we want to welcome you. We are glad for what God is doing in each and every Love and Truth location, and I believe today that as I preach the Word of God here, that you're going to receive it there and that your lives are going to be changed. So those of you in Henderson and Savannah and Cordova, welcome today, and let's get ready to hear what God is going to say the book of second kings the sixth chapter beginning in the 14th verse now remember last week we we started talking about supernatural christianity how many of you want to live supernaturally Come on, I mean that, that ought to be, if you're a believer today, you ought to want to be a supernatural Christian, a person who is living this abundant life that John 10:10 talks about. And yet, what I found is, is that we have reduced Christianity to rules and regulations. We've made it religious. Right? So if you do all the do's and you don't do the don'ts, you'll make it, your your ticket's punched for heaven. And yet, what we find is, is that in the Word of God, it lets us know that there is so much more to living this thing called Christianity. We talked last week about Christianity's mandate, how that Jesus, when he got ready to send the disciples out, he didn't just say, hey, go preach a nice message, did he? He didn't say, have a homiletical, laid out sermon. He didn't say, know the theological ramifications of the hermeneutical passage. He didn't say, you know, exegete the eschatological ramifications of the Word. See, I know all the words. They don't mean much to you, but I know them. What he said was, here's what he said. He said, guys, I'm releasing you, and when you go out, he said, heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. He said, even I want you to raise the dead. He said, freely you have received, therefore I want you to freely give. And so that's how we have been sent forward. And he didn't change his mind. He didn't say, well, that was good for the first century church, but I don't want any other church to do that. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whatever he has given as a mandate to the church remains that mandate today. And so we talked about that last week. And so as we kind of continue on in this series on supernatural Christianity, today I want to talk about seeing the unseen seeing the unseen i I heard a statement years ago that said only those who see the invisible can do the impossible now i don't know about you but i'm ready to do some impossible things i I don't i don't like it when somebody tells me i can't i I mean it's just it is in my i think i was that way when i was three years old any of you have a strong will child uh, you know, and I've I've raised strong-willed children too. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, the the process is is you know if you say you can't, guess what? What's wrong with y'all? I mean, you you tell me I can. I, I'm gonna as the old saying, I'm gonna bust a gut trying. You know, that with, and, and so God's given us this ability. And what, what we've got to do is we've got to learn to see the unseen. And so let's look at this. In 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, beginning in verse 14, it says this. Therefore, now let me just explain this. Elisha is the prophet of God. He's been prophesying and telling uh, the Israelites every time this king, everything he was going to do, and this king's tick. so he wants to kill uh, the man of God. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been at a point of your life where you just went, I don't know what to do? There's everything around me, everything is is falling apart. What do I do? This is where he is at. What shall we do? So the, the prophet answered do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Really? I mean, this guy's looking around, and he's saying, the whole hillside, in fact, the whole city is surrounded by an army. And he's looking around, and it's just him and Elisha. And he's going, really? There's more with us than is with them? Now, look, look what Elisha said. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, I want to tell you, there's a difference in seeing and seeing. He saw the army, but Elisha saw something else. There are a lot of Christians who always see the problem, but there are other Christians who see the solution. Elisha was not looking at the problem. Elisha was looking past the problem to the solution that God had. You and I need to learn to see the unseen because the unseen is not about the problem. The unseen is about the solution. The unseen is about moving into the realm where God is. You remember the Scripture says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to tell you, there are days there's a lot of stuff and a lot of people and a lot of things against us. But if God's for us, who can be against us? Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I I just want to give you some good news before we go any further. You are always in the majority if you're a Christian. When you study Scripture, what you find is is that only one-third of the angels fell. That means there's always two angels for every one demon. And so I've just determined through the years that I always am in the majority. And here's what I found through the years. Some of you have heard me say this. I found a whole lot of Christians not using their angels. So I use extra ones. If, you know, if, if you aren't using your angel, they might be with me. And, and so there's this whole aspect of two to one ratio. And then the scripture says uh, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we're always in a majority. We always know that we're going to win. Our problem is we've got to learn to see some things. And so real quickly, I want to give you four things that you need to learn to see in the Spirit, and then we'll, we'll move on into the part where God can show us how to live uh, in this place of faith. Uh, we, we need to learn to see good from evil. How I many of you believe that? I mean, we need to learn to see good from evil. Genesis 3, 5, now I know this is the devil, but the devil even gets it right every once in a while. I mean, the Scripture says that the demons believe in one God and tremble, and they do well. Right, so the devil gets it right. Genesis 3, 5 says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I, I just believe that as Christians, we need to learn to see what is good and what is evil. Jesus did. When you study the life of Jesus, there are many encounters where Jesus sees evil. He sees evil and speaks to spirit of afflictions and on and on. But there's an encounter that I think is really interesting. And it's an encounter where a man comes to Jesus one day and he says to him, uh, you know, I want to follow you. I want to be one of your guys. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And he lists some different commandments. And, and the guy says, I've done all of those from my youth. And Jesus didn't say, no, you haven't. In fact, Jesus looked at him. He said, but one thing you lack he said take everything you own sell it give it to the poor and then come and follow me now i want to tell you something it is the only place in scripture where jesus tells anybody to sell everything they've got and to follow him but he knew that in the life of this man that greed ruled his life and so jesus is able to see the evil that's in that man in other words here's what that man had done he had set up a god above god And and the commandment tells us, you shall have no other God before me. And so Jesus deals with that, and the Bible says the man went away sorrowfully because he was very rich. Why? Is riches bad? No, because we study Scripture later, and we see uh, all kind of people with riches, and Jesus doesn't get on them. It was the evil that was inside of this man that Jesus saw, and he dealt with it. Other times, he saw good in people, and he he would talk about the good things that were in their life. Paul, at one time uh, in his ministry, uh, was going forth and he met what we would refer, refer to as the governor of an area. And this man was under the, the bondage or under the, the spell of a sorcerer. And whatever this sorcerer told this governor to do, he would do it. And Paul ministered there for a while, wasn't having any breakthrough. And one day he looks at this sorcerer and he says, You're going to be blind for certain days. And the scripture says, Immediately the guy went blind. The governor saw that, he got saved in revival came to the area why because the apostle Paul was able to tell what was good and what was evil now the interesting thing to me is that a lot of Christians can't tell good from evil I mean there's a lot of Christians who can't get their morning started without reading their horoscope Uh uh-oh good and evil I mean there's all kind of Christians who are who are so caught up in in twilight and harry potter and everything else Oh, it gets quiet in the house when pastor starts really digging. And you, you can't tell good from evil. Anything that lives forever off somebody else's blood must be evil. Come on. We've we got to wake up in the church, in the kingdom of God. And, and so the apostle Paul saw the sorcerer, he dealt with the issue, and he moved on. I, I, I know in our lives, as, as we go through life, you need to be able to discern when evil is present. You need to be able to discern when good is present. You know, most of you know that that I grew up in Africa, I was born there, and we lived back in the jungles. Now, when I say back in the jungles, I'm talking back in the midst of the jungles, all right? Uh, you either walked to where we lived or you flew an airplane, which my father happened to be a pilot, so that was good. Uh, but we we had a mission compound, and then right next to us uh, was the the little village that was there. It was called Fossima, and and that's where I grew up all my, you know, until I was seven years of age. And and they would, would begin. Now, they knew that there were two gods. You, you could meet them anywhere in fact a lot of them uh, the first white person they ever saw was my father and, and they would see but they, they understood that there were two gods there was a good god and there was a bad god and their whole philosophy was let's appease the bad god And so the witch doctors, that's what they did. They they would spend their whole life appeasing the bad God. And they would start in their rituals, and those rituals would run sometimes 48 to 72 hours without stop. They would begin to beat the drums, and we could hear them in our home. And I can remember at night, as a small child, I can remember feeling the oppressive spirits of darkness coming into our home as I am laying there and and just terror and fear gripping me, and and not, not really understanding even as a child, but knowing that something was happening supernaturally. And then I can remember time and again as my father would get up and he would begin to plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our home. And I can remember him walking through the house saying, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, we claim this house. And all of a sudden, the evil presence that was in that house would lift and it would leave. I want to tell you, there is something about understanding the good from the evil. And as believers, if we're going to be supernatural Christians, we've got to understand good from evil, and we've got to be able to see it. The second thing we've got to be able to see is we've got to be able to see God's provision. Now, I want to tell you, society tells us right now that we are in a recession. I have determined what the difference in a recession and a depression is. A recession is when you lose your job. A depression is when I lose my job. (laughs) So some of you have moved out of recession and you're in depression. But I want to tell you, you've got to not look at what you see. You've got to look past what you see in the news and what's happening around you and understand that there is a God who is a God of provision. There's a there's a scripture that talks about Hagar, who was Abraham's uh, handmaid, who came in and she had this baby named Ishmael, and uh, it wasn't God's will. And finally, Sarah gets tired of her and they kick her out, and she's in the desert. She's about to die. She's taken Ishmael and put him over aside from her, and she's waiting to die. And the Bible says, then God spoke to her, and in, in Genesis 21:19, here's what the scripture says. It said, then God opened her eyes. Now, her eyes were open, but God opened her eyes, kind of like Elisha and the prophet there. God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. You've got to see God's provision. I, I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I want to tell you, if Jesus can feed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish and have what I like to call the first fish and chip Sunday. You and I can believe God to show up. If he can take care of one to three million Israelites in the desert for 40 years, that their clothes did not wear out, their feet did not have to be burned, they walked in the desert and there was a cloud by day and a fire by night, God fed them, God protected them, and God kept them. If he can do that for one to three million rebellious Israelites... What can he do for those of us who are walking in obedience to his word? And so I, I just, you know, the, the Apostle Paul lives it out in his life. Uh, time and time again, the Apostle Paul receives uh, provision from God. But in one encounter, the Apostle Paul is going to Rome, and God says, Paul, you are going to testify in Rome. And yet a shipwreck happens, and the Apostle Paul tells the captain of the ship, here's what he says. He said, an angel of the Lord of whom I serve stood by me last night. And here's what he said. If you guys will hang with a boat, not one person was going Going to be lost. God provided, even in the midst of a shipwreck, that nobody lost their life and nobody was injured and no one was hurt. And and now you know what? God is still that same kind of God. God's a God of provision. We just recently got a word from one of our pastors in Kenya. And uh, he, he had been preaching about the provision of God. He'd been talking that God is a provider. And, and yet, if, if you understand third world countries where there's 85 to 90% unemployment, uh, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, and you've got to depend on God. And he had gone to a service, and he was down to, I think he had a couple of hundred shillings left, if I remember the story right. And he said in that service, God spoke to him to give that couple of hundred shillings. And he said he gave it in the moment. How many of you have ever ever given in the moment and then regretted it? Well, the rest of you haven't given much. You know, I know you say, well, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I understand that, but sometimes I cry. And I just call it watering my seed. If you've never watered your seed, you haven't given much. This guy gives the last he's got But as he walks out, it's that moment of truth, of reality. I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I can't take care of my family. And he he prayed a prayer, not in arrogance, but he prayed a prayer like this, Lord, I've been preaching this. I've been talking about this. And if you don't show up today, I'm going to quit the ministry. That's one of those prayers. Guess what? That day, before that day rolled around, somebody in this church, had given money for that man. And on that day, when he prayed that prayer, he gets a phone call saying, here are all these shillings that you can have much more than you just gave. Why? Because God is a provider. God provision. But you've got to learn to see into the unseen realm to get that to happen. The third thing that we've got to see is we've got to see the harvest. John 4, 35, Jesus said, do do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. There's that eyes things again. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. I want to tell you, the harvest is out there. I'll say that again. The harvest is out there. We just don't see it. What we see are the addictions. What we see is the guy who can't say two words without cussing. What we see are are the people who who mess up our world. But God says that's the harvest. Jesus one day coming into Jerusalem looks out at Jerusalem. He says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered thee together as a hen doth gather her brood, yet you would not. In other words, Jesus is saying if you would only realize who I am, if you would only see me, As the Messiah, I would change your world. Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray one day. He's hungry, and God gives him this vision of this sheet being let down from heaven. And as that sheet is left down, there's all kind of four-footed animals and beasts in there that Peter, as a good Jewish boy, would never eat. And every time that God would let the the sheet down on the rooftop, uh, that he would be spoken to by God and say, get up, kill and eat. And Peter would say, oh, no, Lord. I never eat anything unclean. And God said, that which I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And in the third encounter, when he is finally done, the Word of God says there's a knock on the door. And there are men who are there from the household of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who Peter would have never seen as the harvest, except God opened his eyes so that he could see the harvest. You and I have got to come to the place where we're not just looking at the natural circumstances. When we see people, we've got to see through their problems. We've got to see through their messes. We've got to see through their lifestyle issues. And we've got to see them as somebody that Jesus Christ died for and gave his life for. And you and I have got to see them as the harvest. As somebody told me not too long ago, they said, Pastor, said I was in prayer and said, said it was like the Lord just took me up and said I was, I was on uh, way up above the building and said all of a sudden I begin to see cars coming from every direction. And they said there were so many cars coming into Love and Truth Church that, that there, was, there was no way that they could get in. said so the police were directing, everything was happening. And I began to think about that. And I thought, you know what? That is what God wants to do in all Love and Truth churches. God wants to bring in the harvest from the north to south, the east and the west. He wants to bring it in, but you and I have got to get a vision for the harvest. The fourth thing we need to have a vision for is where I read to you out of the book of 2 Kings there. We've got to have eyes to see God's power. I, I want to tell you, God is a powerful God. And, and he, in, in that passage there it says, open his eyes that he may see what's in the hills. I want to tell you, God's power is greater than anything you and I have ever come up against. Jesus, time time and again, exhibited his power. I mean, there's all these occasions, but I love the occasion where Jesus shows up one day. The guy's been dead for days, and he said, open up the grave. And they said, oh, Lord, we can't do that. Behold, he's been dead for four days, and he stinks. Right? I mean, that's for all the embalming processes of, you know, modern times. He stinks, Lord. And, and I wonder if on the other side, because, you know, if, if Jesus is, is moving in the unseen, I wonder if on the other side Lazarus is saying, somebody let me out. They said they rolled the stone away. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He may have already been alive. We don't know. Because Jesus deals in the unseen realm. And he calls him forth. And he said, unloose him, let him go. And and there's this whole thing there that that Jesus is moving in power. John, the the apostle John, I love to study about the apostle John. What you find out about John is, is that he was the one who was the closest to Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. History tells us that as they begin to kill the apostles, they tried to kill the apostle John. And what they did was, is they they took this huge cauldron of oil and they got it boiling hot, and then, then they took the apostle John and they threw him into this cauldron of oil. The interesting thing was, though, is that he didn't die. Why? Because the power of God kept him. And so they take him and they put him on an island by himself on the Isle of Patmos. And watch what happens to John. Watch the power of God in John's life. Here's what he says in the book of Revelation. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that's power. You've already been thrown into a vat of oil. they tried to kill you. They can't get rid of you. And so they put you on this island and still you are in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he begins to give the great revelation of who Jesus Christ is in the end of time. Listen, God is a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we've looked at this this morning, we've seen how how God's power is being revealed and how His anointing is being released. And and so often we get caught up in in what He did as Jesus was here on earth or maybe what the apostles did. But I want to tell you, in each of those instances, there there are things that have happened today. I was in Racine, Wisconsin one time preaching, and and I was ministering to people at the end of the service, and and I called people down for prayer, and and there was a a whole group of people from the the first Lutheran church that had come that night. That's a whole story in and of itself you know to hear this guy and and trying to trying to to really relate to a lutheran church and and as the the healing process began to happen that night i began to pray for people and i pray for this one specific man and as he turned around to leave just out of my mouth i said "Uh, you know sometimes god doesn't heal instantly he may heal the next day I didn't know why I said it. The guy went back to his seat, and his testimony the next night was this. He said, when I got out to the car that night, he said, I told my wife and the people who were with me, well, that was a cop-out. You know, that guy's just trying to give himself an out. And he said, I had been suffering with back problems for 17 years. He said, I was in severe pain for 17 years. He said, I went to bed that night in pain. He said, the next morning as I began to get up, He said, all of a sudden, as I set up, he said, my back sounded like a rifle shot went off. And he said, it cracked so loud that I looked around to see what happened. He said, but instantly all the pain left my body. And he testified that night that God had totally healed him. Did I heal him? No, it was the power of the almighty God that came into his body and healed him. Now, how do we get there? That's what I want to close with today. How do we learn to live in the unseen? Number one is seeing involves faith. You say, well, that's easy. Well, let me help you with this. Faith is the channel, if we can use that term, that makes God's possibilities available to us. It's, it's by faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians says it this way, for we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so I've got to learn to believe to see. See, so we, we we reverse it. We say, well, if I see, then I will believe. But John eleven forty says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Our problem is we get moved by the circumstances. We get moved by the problems we're focusing on what we can see instead of moving into the unseen realm of where god is moving faith let me talk about the difference between faith and hope because a lot of people are hoping for things if i were to take time today and say uh, you know if you got hope I mean, everybody would have hope but there's a difference in hope and in faith hope is in the mind faith is in the heart hope is in the future faith is in the present Hope is an expectation. Faith is substance. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hope. That's things I'm expecting. Right now, right here, I believe God, it's mine. Not a hope. See, I've got to come to that place where the word of God is more powerful than what I see. Most of us are just interested in the facts. We think we're Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts. No. There is something greater than facts. You say, I don't believe that. Yes, there is. There's something greater than facts. I found this out years and years and years and years ago. And I wasn't reading the Bible when I found it out. I would love to say I was in deep travail in the spirit. And God showed up and sent an angel into my room and touched me on the head and said, Yea, my son, I would say to thee but I was actually reading an Ellery Queen mystery novel. And if you ever read anything about Ellery Queen, it was all deduction and all this, and it went in, and, and he, something lined up, and it said, uh, was talking about the facts, and he said, I'm not concerned about the facts, I'm concerned with truth. And I went, whoa, there it is. There's something bigger than facts, and that is truth. The fact may be that you're sick. The truth is he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, your healer. The fact may be you're broke, but the truth is he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, your provider. The fact may be you're in a place of danger, but the truth is he's Jehovah Nissi, and his banner over you is love, and you've got to come to the place of realizing what the truth is and not focusing on what the facts are. And so when we move into that place of saying, wait a minute, I am not moved by what I see. Listen, listen. If I was moved by what I see, there's a lot of things in this ministry would have, we would have never done. I mean, do you realize that in the midst of, of, of the recession, depression, whatever it is that we're in, that, that we have, have built buildings in different campuses and different places and even here locally, and right in the midst of a recession? And you know what? God just keeps blessing God just keeps pouring out His goodness. God just keeps taking care of us as we move forward. Listen, you can't be moved by what you see. Seeing not only happens through faith, seeing happens through prayer. Jesus looked at the disciples one day and He said, some things come only by prayer and fasting. You've got to move into a place where you, listen, I want to tell you, if you don't pray much, you don't see much. Well, I don't have time to pray. Listen, I'm too busy not to pray. In fact, the busier I get, the more I have to pray. Right? If you don't pray, you can't move into the unseen realm of the spirit. So seeing involves prayer. And the last part about seeing is this, is that seeing brings confidence. When you know that you know what you have seen in the spirit, you're not moved by the circumstances. I guarantee you there are people sitting in this audience today and those who are watching as well who would say, you know what, there are some things that I know God has told me I'm going to have. And I have not seen it in the natural yet, but I know that God is going to come through. Listen, I've been doing this way too long and I've talked to too many believers and I've seen the testimony that have come out of their lives to know that there there are some things that are happening in the Spirit even when we don't see it. And that God is moving behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, there's one of those what Scripture calls a suddenly moment. Where God steps out of eternity and steps into the present. And he wipes away everything that has been an obstacle and a problem to us. And all of a sudden, in the midst of difficulty, we step up and we see the presence and the power of God. I want to tell you today, there is something that God has for you but you've got to learn to see the unseen. You've got to move out of the natural and get into the supernatural, because I want you to know today, Christianity really is a supernatural thing. It's not of this earth. It's not of this world. If you can figure it out, it's not from God. It is something that's supernatural. I have found through the years, if I can wrap my brain around it, God's not in it. Because God comes, the Bible says His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are beyond my thoughts. I can't comprehend what God's up to. But I just step back and say, wait a minute, I see an inkling. I see something. Lord, open our eyes that we can see past the problem. And we can see to the solution.